You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of our Adult Sunday School series. Adult Sunday School is taught by a variety of different men in our church. Now let's prepare our hearts as our Sunday School teacher brings forth God's truths from His Word today. This lesson series has really done a work in my heart. It's broken me in a lot of ways. Um... You know, I've shared some of that with you from, you know, last couple of weeks. I've shared some of the things that the Lord has done. Um, and the more I study it, the more I realize how far away I am from true holiness. And, you know, we, we compare ourselves to the standard, which is Jesus Christ. And we're, we have a long way to go. But we also have a lot of help to get there. So, um, and that's, I want to talk some about that today um, as we, we look at how Jesus handled temptation, and then um, just a couple of other, other um, passages in Scripture that will help us, I think, to, to fight temptation and to really take those steps that we need to towards holiness. So um, over the last few weeks, uh, we started out and we looked at what is holiness, what does it mean to say that God's holy, what does it mean to say that we are living holy, um, why should we be focused on being holy? just went weird. Um, we talked about some of the passages where we're called to holiness. We're able to see how those passages also contain some practical advice on how to live holy. Um, we're going to continue again today looking at some of those passages. Um, I apologize. I need to grab my other device again. It did it to me again. It like went gray and I could barely, I could barely read it. Thank you. Technology is great, except when it's not. When it works, it's great. Yes. One quick change. Yes, that's why I always have two. All right. Okay. Um, All right. So, again, we talked about how Jesus is the example, and um, that's what I really want to focus on this week um, as the main portion of the, of the lesson. If we're there in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, we'll start in verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And I've used this verse kind of, you know, this, this passage as a, as a jumping off point, but I haven't really focused on it a lot. And, it, and um, just as I was studying and praying and meditating, you know, I just looked at a couple of things there that, um, that, that jumped out to me. And things that we've talked about, but we hadn't talked about it in the context of this verse. You know, we talked about obedience and how that is how that shows that we love God. We show, we show what we love by what we obey. We talked about whether we love sin or whether we love God um, based on what we obey. And, and so it's, we talked about as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. And we're going to talk about those areas that Satan attacks us in, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And again, Peter is just saying, but as he has called you, 
as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. So let's pray before we get started. Dear Heavenly Father, I come before you this morning, and Lord, I thank you. Thank you again for the opportunity to stand before your people and to open your word, and uh, thank you for your word that is so powerful, so full of instruction, encouragement, and Lord, just <coughs> your heart. Lord, thank you for just the amazing God that you are. Thank you that we are able to gather together this morning to hear your word and to to worship we worship you in song. Again, the songs this morning are just a great start to our morning. We just thank you for that. Lord, I ask you to be with me as I, as I stand before your people. I'm not worthy, but you have me here, and I thank you for that, and I just pray that you will just move me out of the way and let what I have to say today be exactly what you would have me to say and be nothing of me but all of you. We thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. All right, so we're going to... We're going to review again. I'm going to try and do it quickly because there's, I seem to keep running out of time, which never used to be a problem for me. But uh, um, certain areas, I guess, the, when the Lord is really leading, it's, it's easy to find lots of things to, to talk about. Um, but while, while we're reviewing, if you would turn in, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, that's where we're going to really focus this morning. So Matthew chapter 4. So over the last few weeks, we'd started out, we'd looked at the definition of holiness and, and in, in the definition of holy, and we talked about how there's two differing but similar definitions. One is for holy and holiness when applied to God, and the other is for when the terms are applied to man. I'm going to read these definitions again just to keep them fresh in our minds as we, as we approach this week's lesson. Holiness is from the word holy, the state of being holy, purity or integrity of moral character, freedom from sin, sanctity, Applied to the supreme being, holiness denotes perfect purity or integrity of moral character, one of his essential attributes. Applied to human beings, holiness is purity of heart or disposition, sanctified affections, piety, moral goodness, but not perfect. Then we looked at the definition for holy, since it's the root word of holiness and was used in its definition. Holy is properly, properly whole, entire, or perfect in a moral sense. Hence, pure in heart, temper, or disposition, free from sin and sinful affections. Applied to the supreme being, holy signifies perfectly pure, immaculate, and complete in moral character. A man is more or less holy as his heart is more or less sanctified or purified from evil dispositions. We call a man holy when his heart is conformed in some degree to the image of God and his life is regulated by the divine precepts. Hence, holy is used as nearly synonymous with good, pious, and godly. Be ye holy, for I am holy. So we talked about God's holiness and how in Leviticus in particular, God speaking through Moses says over and over again, you shall be holy, for I the Lord your God am holy. You shall be holy unto me, for I the Lord am holy, and so on. And we talked about how God is holy because he is holy. It's who he is. It's what makes him God. God's people are holy because we're associated with him. And we talked about how when when, th when people are associated with something, they identify with them. And since we, uh, since God, we identify with God, we should, in fact, be holy so that those that are looking at us can see that holiness uh, in our lives. 
And we talked about God's attributes. We talked about how all of those attributes combine together in this, in this one attribute that we call holiness. We talked about the example of the prism, the white light, how the holiness is that white light. And we look through the prism and we see all of the other attributes of God as the colors. Um, we talked about how the attributes are what makes God who he is. How they, are, they help us to understand who he is. And we talked about all of those attributes. His, he's incomprehensible, he's self-existent, he's self-sufficient. He's eternal, he's, he's infinite, he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent, he's all-wise, he's immutable, he's sovereign, he's light, he's inscrutable, he's faithful and true, he's good, he's just and righteous, he's merciful and gracious, he's love, and he's holy. And our God calls us to be holy, to be different, to be set apart, a light in this world, to be morally pure in this corrupt and perverse world. Then we talked about how we should respond to God's holiness. We used the example of Isaiah when he was confronted with the holiness of God. And he saw God on his throne and, and the seraphim continually crying out about the holiness of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah saw the power that was behind that, that the posts of the, of the building shook when, when that being cried, this, cried out, the seraphim cried out. And he realized how he, he realized both his and his nation's sin and, and their corruptness in, in comparison to that holiness, that, that amazing God that he was, had a glimpse of. And he cried out and asked God to, you know, just cried out, woe is me, just... I'm undone. And immediately that angel came and brought the coal to his lips and touched it to his lips and took away that, that guilt that he had for that, took, purified his lips and his heart, took away the, even the iniquity. He didn't recognize that he had iniquity. He knew he was sinful, but he didn't realize it was iniquity that was causing that. So we, we took five steps from that. And first, we, we should recognize the holiness of God. We should recognize our own lack of holiness. We should cry out to God, acknowledging that lack and repenting of our sins. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we accept that cleansing that the Lord offers. He is faithful and just to, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then finally, we carry the message to others. Who, and we talked about how I, when the Lord asked, whom shall I send? And he said, here am I, send me. So we carry that message to others. We should be following God's command as we carry that message so that when they look at us, they, really, they see God's holiness in our life. Um, then we looked at passages from Hebrews, Romans, Ephesians. Um, Hebrews, we looked at, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see God. If we want to see God working in our lives and through our lives, we have to be living according to holiness. We talked about Romans especially Romans 12.1 in the following verses. We talked about those things that, uh, that will help us in our pursuit of holiness. Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you, brethren, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. We talked about how renewing your mind by being in the word, by being humble and focusing on Christ as the standard. We talked about the importance of the body of Christ and keeping each other before the Lord, both in prayer and accountability, and how when I sin, 
When I lack in holiness, it affects you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, and when you sin, it affects me. And last week, we, we looked at Ephesians uh, 4, 17 to 24, where Paul talks about the way the world walks, and then says, but ye have not so learned Christ. We talked about that old corrupt man that is to be put away and how we put on the new man, which, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Our new man that we received at salvation is created in righteousness and true holiness. We talked about how that contrast is so clear that there's no compatibility between that old corrupt man, the lustful man, and then the, there's no compatibility between that and the new man that's created after God, righteous and holy. So there's no, and we talked about how there's no excuse for sinning. We have, we have a choice every time. We're going to focus on that a little bit if, if there's time after I go through the uh, temptation uh, of Jesus. Then we looked at Romans. We looked at the entire chapter. We went through it verse by verse and how it's an amazing, um, just, it's such an encouragement and just focuses us on living a holy life. What we really took out of that is that our old man is crucified with him, the that the body of sin might be destroyed, but henceforth we should not serve sin. And he also said, Reckon ye also yourselves to be de dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. That whole chapter is just is full of knowledge to help us in our quest for holiness. And I think I said if I could summarize it, it would be something like this. Stop sinning. It's not necessary. It's your choice. You can choose to live in sin, or you can choose to live in righteousness and holiness. Amen. We talked a little bit about the futility of, of living according to the lusts of the old man, how living this way doesn't lead to fulfillment. That's the lie Satan tells us. You live to the, fulfill the lust of the flesh, but you're never truly fulfilled. You could never have enough money, power, sex, whatever, to be fulfilled because you weren't made for those things. As a result, you remain empty inside and spiral downward into more and more frustration, depravity, and depression. That brings us to this week, and I had a bunch more passages. Uh, I'm just going to give them to you for references um, and let you read them yourselves. Um, so I'm just going to run through what I have. I'm just going to give you the references because there's, I don't believe there will be time to go through them. Um, so Galatians 3, 25 through 27. Um, Colossians 2, 8 through 15. Romans 13, 8 to 14. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. 1 Thessalonians 4, 6 through 10. Those were all passages that I had kind of lined up to, to talk about. Um, it's just, the Bible is just full of passages that both call us to holiness and give us reasons for living holy and then offer that practical advice that we need on how to live in holiness. So now finally, after a few weeks, of, kind of a few weeks behind of where I thought I would be, I want to bring this example from Christ's life. We'll be looking at how Christ prepared himself for and handled the temptation. As we've said, Christ is the standard. We need to study the standard so that we know how we measure up and see how he responded. In 1 Peter 2, 21 and 22, it says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. He who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. So we're to follow Christ's example. So if you've kept your place there in Matthew chapter 4, we'll now examine and focus on this famous account of Christ's temptation in the wilderness, looking to that only man who ever lived a perfect life, even in the face of great temptation. 
And I hope that we can gain some good instruction on how to overcome temptation, live in holiness. So let's read Matthew chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. Then was Jesus led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was, af he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them, and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. So in verse 1, we see that Jesus was led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. The Spirit led Jesus to be tempted of the devil. The sovereignty of God shines through this. Even though Satan was motivated by his desire to destroy God's plan for salvation of mankind, the, the temptation of Jesus was all part of that plan. So even though he was trying to destroy it, God knew in his sovereignty and in his omniscience that this was part of the plan and, this, and allowed his spirit to lead Jesus into the wilderness. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. This is the first thing I see. Jesus spent time preparing for whatever the devil would throw at him. His preparation included fasting. And though the, the scripture doesn't expressly say it here, I can say with certainty, knowing based on the rest of the accounts that we have of Jesus' life, that it, that time was also spent in prayer and fasting. And, then the, and when the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. We see here that Satan's first appeal is to the lust of the flesh. After fasting for 40 days, Jesus' flesh would have been extremely hungry. And it would have been very easy for him as the son of God. He had all power in heaven and earth to turn those stones to bread and satisfy that hunger. But that wasn't part of God's plan. And so that's why the devil attacked him first there. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Jesus' immediate response doesn't rely on his flesh. He stands strong on the everlasting, unchanging word of God. Amen. We see that his preparation is paid off. He's previously studied and memorized the scriptures so that he can take it and apply it to that temptation before him. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Don't tempt my flesh when there's much more at stake here. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. So here we see Satan, he starts changing his tactics. He's appealing to the pride of life here. If Jesus were to cast himself down from the temple, 
and the angels kept him from being injured, he would have immediately been gained incredible notoriety and fame. He would have become a celebrity. But we also see Satan resting or twisting scripture to his use, taking a piece of, word out, piece of the word out of context to make something that's wrong seem okay. Yeah. Satan knows scripture better than we do. And he's skilled at using it as we see here. That's why it's so important to spend that time in meditation and prayer. That's why we have to follow Jesus' example and be prepared for, for any attack that the devil throws at us by studying, meditating, and praying ahead of the temptation. That's what we see. Jesus spent that time ahead of the temptation preparing. When you're in the midst of the temptation, that's not the time to be preparing. That's the time to cry out to the Lord, but it's not the time to be preparing. We should be preparing ahead of time all the time. Jesus said unto him, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, Jesus' response is simple. He didn't argue with the devil. He just uses simply just a simple, right use of the scripture, reminding the devil of his place, as well as asserting his authority over him. As Christians, we are children of God, and we can cite scripture such as, resist the devil, and he will flee from you, and know that Christ, who is our example, is also there with us. As it says in Hebrews 2.18, for in that he himself suffered being tempted, he is able to succor those, them that are tempted. Succor means to help when in difficulty, want, or distress, to assist and deliver from suffering. So I'm going to read that again. For in that he himself suffered, hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them who are tempted. Because he suffered temptation and defeated it, he is able to help us. Man. What an amazing promise. But again, back to what he did. He just took scripture and quoted it right back to the devil. Every time we're attacked with something, the best and only response should be scripture back at the devil. Man. And again, the devil didn't give up. And again, the devil taketh him into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto them, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Finally, we see the devil, he's appealing, I think, both to the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes here. He offered Jesus all the glory and riches of the, of the kingdoms of the earthly realm just for a moment's worship. He wouldn't have to gain them back through suffering, the suffering on the cross. So he's appealing to, you can avoid the suffering of the cross, so appealing to the flesh, but also look at, all, look at all this glory that you can have if you just bow down and worship me. But what the devil didn't understand, or maybe he did and was just trying to thwart, was that Jesus suffering and death on the cross wasn't so much about the deed to the earth that was part of it, but much more about salvation of mankind. In either case, the temptation to avoid the cross was a very real and powerful temptation for Jesus. But his immediate response, then Jesus saith unto him, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Jesus again uses scripture to counter Satan's attack. And it's immediate. God, he didn't, again, didn't argue. Didn't try and engage the devil in a conversation. He just quoted scripture at him. Simple and direct. Worship is reserved for God alone. So he didn't, like I said, he didn't argue with the devil. He just quoted scripture. No argument is needed when you quote the absolute truth. We need to remember that today. 
in this day of all these different relative truths that are out there, there is an absolute truth, and we have it at our disposal. We must study it, learn it, and meditate on it so that we have it ready to counteract any of the devil's attacks. And then verse 11, Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Amen. The devil leaveth him. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We're going to look at James 4 in more depth in a moment. But before we do, there are a few things I want to point out about Jesus resisting the devil. Uh, and I also just want to point out, too, that the angels came and ministered unto him. They, he, he needed that after he had been fasting for 40 days and then went through that temptation. And <clears throat> resisting temptation is exhausting. It's hard. And the, the angels came and ministered unto him. We have his ministry and we have the Spirit's ministry in our lives to do the same for us. So let's look at this, these things that um, I wanted to point out about Jesus resisting the devil. First, Jesus had to resist the devil in three separate attacks. The devil is a strong adversary and he doesn't give up easily. A half-hearted resistance won't do. We have to determine to resist fully and completely with all that we have, making no provision for the flesh. Resist means to stand against, to oppose, to strive against, defeat, or frustrate. It's not just saying no, but rather a full-out stand against the attack. I think sometimes we think, I said no, why is the devil still attacking? It's more than that. It's taking a stand against his attack and using the offensive weapon of, of the sword of the word. The second thing is that Jesus responded verbally with Scripture. He didn't just recite it in his mind, he spoke it out loud. This is something that can be a breakthrough in resisting the devil. I think that all too often we're influenced by this worldly view of this battle versus good and evil, and, and they're kind of equal, on, on equal terms. So, you know, whatever, whatever God can do, the devil can do, and we just have this kind of, it's, it's, I think the world has influenced our thinking in that way, that, you know, there's, there's just this, it's, it's an almost even battle between the two. And so whatever, you know, if, if, if God knows our thoughts, then the devil does too. But that's not, that's not true. We forget that there's only one omniscient God Man. who can read our thoughts. This is something that was taught on the girls' camping trip last year, and it really makes a difference in fighting temptation when the devil throws it at us. We can recite all the scripture we want in our minds. It will strengthen us, but the devil doesn't know that we're doing that until we speak it out loud. And so while he has that power to plant thoughts in our minds, he can't read those thoughts. We have to recite it back to him aloud verbally to get him to leave. Now let's look a little more closely at Jesus' preparation to be tempted. The distinct steps that he took were fasting. By denying his flesh, Jesus was able to bring it under control of his spirit. With his flesh under control, he could focus on the second important part of his of his preparation. Prayer and meditation on the scripture. With his flesh under control, Jesus could completely and totally immerse himself in communion with his Father. A conversation with the Father like has never taken place on earth. Forty days of dialogue. Preparation not only for his temptation but also for his earthly ministry. Jesus spent that time in prayer knowing that the devil would attack in one or more of the three areas, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. For all his intelligence, the devil's terribly predictable. His attacks are always in these three areas. So Jesus prepared himself 
If you know where the enemy is going to attack, you can strengthen yourself and prepare yourself to defend where he will be attacking. The last thing I want to look at in Jesus' preparation for this moment, for this temptation, was his knowledge of the scriptures. This speaks to a life of a life spent in learning and meditating on scripture long before the 40 days. He had spent his life preparing, learning, and memorizing, and meditating upon his Father's word. This allowed him to have exactly the right scripture to counter each attack the devil sent his way. But I don't want to discourage you if you don't have a great deal of scripture memorized right now. I want to encourage you to start now. Focus on scriptures that will repel Satan's attack in each of the three areas. The Ten Commandments are a great place to start. They're simple, short, and can be easily recited aloud to counteract Satan's attack. It is written, thou shalt have no other gods before me. It is written, thou shalt not commit adultery. It is written, thou shalt not covet anything that is thy neighbor's, and so on. They're simple. It's the word of God, and it's powerful against the devil's attacks. Now, if you would turn to James chapter 4, I'd like to spend the remaining time to go over the first half of this chapter and see how we can use it to fight the attacks of the devil. And just want you to take heart at this verse that I'm going to read while you're, while you're going there. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. And verse 14 says, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I think a lot of times we, we look at idolatry and we think, I'm not making a wooden idol to worship. We don't carve stone or wooden idols. But we can be guilty of idolatry, as it says in Colossians 3.5. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence and, covetous, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So every time we covet, we are committing the sin of idolatry. So we have to remember that God is faithful. He won't allow us to be tempted above what we are able. He will, it's a promise, he will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape, always. We have to look for it. We have to look for that way out that he's created and take it. It, ha it takes us choosing that way of escape. We always have the choice. It goes back to choosing to love God or to love sin. To love God through obedience. All right, if you're there in James chapter 4. Start in verse 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, and yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. So here, this is just kind of laying the groundwork that Strive against covetousness, the lust of the eyes, we, and we see the answer to why our prayers may not be answered. We're looking around, we're lusting, coveting after things that are not in God's will for our lives. 
Verses 4 and 5, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whoever, whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do ye do you think the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? Again, where James is saying, we're to strive against this lust of the flesh, indulging in our fleshly desires and making friends with the world makes us enemies of God. Verse 6, but he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Here we have the root of all sins, the pride of life. All other sins, I, I truly believe, can be tracked back to this. And do you see that? God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I don't want God resisting me. Remember, we talked about what resist means a little while ago. Standing against or opposing. I don't want God standing against me, opposing me. I much more desire his grace, and that means I have to be humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submission to God requires humility on our part. Submission has such a negative connotation in today's world. But remember, when we're submitting to God, we're submitting ourselves to a perfect master. Submission is the key to resisting the devil. We can't fight him alone. Remember, it's God who provides the way for escape to each temptation that we face. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We need to keep both, both portions of that verse in our minds, that we have to submit to God, and then we resist the devil, and he flees from us. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. And as we draw nigh to God, we have to remember that he's a holy God. And so we have to cleanse our hands and purify our hearts. God requires that as we draw near to him. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Again, humbling ourselves results in us being lifted up by God. The converse is true. Lifting ourselves up results in being resisted by God. What a contrast. One last thing. Something that Satan often uses in my life. When I fall to sin, I, I don't resist the temptation. He, he comes back with another attack then. And it's always something along the lines of, you call yourself a Christian? Look at what you've done. I have a portion of scripture that has helped me fight that. It helps me fight it over and over again. It's from Psalm 51, where David had committed adultery and murder, but he turns to God. Amen. And knowing that God will forgive him, he prays this prayer, and I'm just going to read the three verses that have been life-changing for me. He prays, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. 
Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. So when Satan starts attacking you because you've fallen to sin, go to that verse. Go to those verses. This is a man after God's own heart, praying to his God to forgive him, and knowing that his God was going to answer and create that clean heart. The following verse just says, Then then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners be converted unto thee. So here I stand, teaching. Because God can take somebody who sins every day and use them. Hallelujah. As we close out today, close out this series, I hope that it's been both a blessing and a challenge to you. We know, we know, we know that God calls us to live in holiness. We can prepare to live in holiness by preparing to resist the devil through immersing ourselves in the word, reading and meditating on it, by fasting if we're physically able, and prayer, spending that time in communion with our Heavenly Father, and then keeping ourselves in God's grace by being humbled before him. All of this will help us live in holiness. Pastor's been teaching on Wednesday nights about the eight disciplines of a godly life. All of that is just, that just takes that and expands it out. If you haven't been here on Wednesday night, I would encourage you to listen. Go back and listen to it. And then remember Hebrews 2.18, for in that he himself suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Let's pray. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.